0: Thanks for turning me down, Bob, because I was singing into that microphone, wasn't I? (laughs) And everybody in the room is thankful that they didn't hear that. (laughs) Hey, don't be so agreeable. (laughs) We're going to ask the ushers to come forward. We're going to worship with... Oh, I'm sorry, Jamie. Is it I'm I'm Is it all right? I'm past you a little bit. We're going to worship the Lord with our giving. I'm going to pray. And we're going to jump right in this morning, okay? I think you guys can uh, give and listen at the same time because you're very talented. You just proved it a few minutes ago. We're going to make Baptocostals out of you yet. I got one hallelujah up here. That's it. Lord, help us. Okay, let's pray. (laughs) We bless your name today, God. 10,000 reasons, there's really many more. But uh, we're not always so good at saying thanks and um, pondering, slowing ourselves down long enough to uh, consider the many ways that your grace has impacted us. We just went through a a national holiday. God, really, it's the most indigenous, truly Christian from our nation that... uh, The early settlers gave thanks for your provision, because you send the rain upon the just and the unjust, you fill our hearts with food and gladness, and masses of humanity take it for granted, and yet you show that kind of kindness. The Apostle Paul, as a follower of you, was able to say, even having just food and covering with these, we should be content." And Lord, we have way beyond food and covering, probably more than we, more than is really good for us sometimes. Distracts us. We lose sight of what really matters. So today, it's right for us as your children to stop for a minute and say, Thank you, King Jesus. Thank you for being creator. Thank you for being sustainer. Thank you for being provider. Thank you for every good and perfect gift that comes down from you, the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. You never change. You don't say, this is good one day, and ah, I changed my mind, it's bad next week. Good is good. Right is right. Your holiness endures forever. And so, Lord, we thank you, God, that you're consistent and that even though we are the ones who ran away from you, you set your affection on us and you provided a way, a way to pay for the death penalty without making us paying it personally, you rescued us by your mercy. We're grateful today. We give you thanks. For those of us who have entered into life, we've received Jesus as Savior it's our privilege and our, um, our responsibility to cooperate with you in expanding your work and expanding your kingdom in honoring you. And, Lord, we do that here. We do it with our missionaries. We do it in various places. And today we want to worship you with our giving. We said thanks on Thursday. Today we want to say thank you in a tangible way. We want to honor you. And so as we receive this offering, God, we pray that your hand would be on it. We would pray that you would give joy to those who delight to do your will. And so, God, put your blessing not only on that, but on your servants. More importantly, as we live through our week, not just what happens here this morning, but as we live through our week, that your blessing would be on that. We would have promptings as some of us were praying a few moments ago that your spirit can stop us dead in our tracks and get our attention. That you would do things like that. You would open doors for the good news. And that you would help us. Put your angels around your people, God. I always ask for that, never taking for granted the fact that we're safe and that we're here today. We have brothers and sisters who struggle. We have some brethren who are facing that physical stuff, and we're glad, Lord, that you have been sustaining them and showing mercy. Continue to do so. So please lead us today in the paths of righteousness. Open our ears, our minds to hear from you. Help us, Holy Spirit. We acknowledge as the worship team was praying earlier, we can't make anything happen. We cannot make you um, receive praises. We can't make people want to praise you. It's got to come from your Spirit's work in us that raises up honor and glory to your own name. Please do that in this place, I pray. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. And everyone said, I thought he would never stop praying. <laughs> I got lost in the moment there. Well, while the brothers are collecting uh, uh, your tithes and offerings, I just want to explain that our series, as I've mentioned, is uh, two things. I want to explain. One is the titles have been stolen often from a book that was written by a man you may recognize, Charles Swindoll. Anybody been around long enough to ever hear of Charles Swindoll? Come on, you can admit it. This is church. No one's going to arrest you. You know, yeah. And uh, so this is this is a little dated. Um, And today's title, Reaction at Watergate, is actually um, a little bit of a distortion because there is a chapter in this book. This is the book, by the way. It was written in 1978. But it's interesting when people put hard work into the Word of God and expound it, it always seems to maintain its relevance. You ever notice that? Even if the illustrations are a little bit old and corny, Uh, They still work, but here was the table of contents. You get down to chapter 10, and in chapter 10, it says revival at Watergate, question mark. Now, you have to be old to know what Watergate's all about, right? Or pay attention. attention. Thank you. Yeah, if you pay attention. What was Watergate? Anybody? (laughs) I am the president. Now I can get away with that since I've been voted in, right? I am the pastor, make no mistake. (laughs) Yeah, that and the nickel. Anyway, (laughs) reaction at Watergate. I changed the title just a little because we want to describe and unpack a little bit the reaction that we find in this text. But we've been speaking through Nehemiah because Nehemiah is very much a leadership book. It's a spiritual book, but it's a leadership book. It's one of those books, you don't read the book of Nehemiah and see the kind of miracles that you see back in the book of Exodus, where the water is divided and the, the enemy army follows the Israelites through and then they get drowned. You don't see that kind of stuff. But there is definitely answer to prayer, and there's the sovereign hand of God at work in the lives of the children of Israel as they have returned from exile into the promised land, and they're establishing their city. They have already established the temple and the worship at the temple. It's a little bit disheveled, we're going to find out, and they needed to have their wall put up, and it's a good illustration, and that's what I hope I can unpack clearly today, and I'll even have a little Q&A time, because I know you love Q&A, so that make sure that we understand the illustrations that we're using, because sometimes you might preach out of the Old Testament, people say, I'm not sure I understand what the connection is with where we're living today. But they all, all of those things that we read about in the scripture, the Bible says, were given for our learning. There's something we can glean from it, and hopefully we will do that today. All right? So I would like you to look at the passage with me, Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm going to uh, read it and then pray. And there was one small glitch. I meant to stop at verse 6 so that you didn't have to go through all those names. Did anybody notice all the names? Okay, well, let me read the passage, if you wouldn't mind. Nehemiah, the eighth chapter, and here it is. This is after the wall had been completed, and they have some time to think about what God had done for them. And all the people gathered as one man. This is chapter 8 of Nehemiah. If you use your pew Bible, it's page 237 all the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square which was in front of the water gate, From early morning until midday. In case you haven't figured out, that's where the Watergate title comes from. (laughs) They're at the Watergate. Pretty sneaky, huh? From early morning until midday. In the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Did you get that? All the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Anah, oh, there's a small letter there, Anah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maasiah on his right hand, and Padiah and Mishael, Malcaijah, Hashem, Hashabananah. Nah. Those of you who are looking for kids' for, names for your grandchildren, there they are Zechariah and Meshalim on his left hand. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Sometimes I wish our pews had a little more space between them, because I think it's an appropriate response physically. Now your passage in your bulletin goes on, so I might as well read these two because you're looking for good names. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherubiah, Jamin, Echob, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jezabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. I got through those names a little better than the first ones, right? And the problem is, this is so small. What's that? Thanks for not making making you read it. Amen. (laughs) I can take the humiliation. It's okay. Well, I want to pick up where we left off. And let me just say that uh, we, I think, made reference to this at the end of last week. And that is there's some kind of a reaction because of something that happened. And here's what happened last week. The wall was completed on the 25th day of the month, of Lul, in 52 days. Remember, this was over a mile and a half of rubble that they were cleaning up. That's a big project. And they pulled it off. And it came about when our enemies heard of it, all the nations surrounding us saw it. They lost their confidence. Remember, they were in opposition. They weren't happy about it. The enemy does not like the church to get their walls built right, to get the bricks in place. The enemy does not like it. And I warned you last week that if we're going to move forward with God, you can almost put money on the fact, not that I'm encouraging anyone to gamble, but you could, put money on the fact that the enemy will come after you. If you don't believe that there is an enemy, well, need to reread your scripture and decide whether it's the truth or not. Because it's full of it, right? It really is. So anyway, they lost their confidence because they recognized that this work had been accomplished with what? Class? Help. Help of our God. The help of our God. So there was a reason for response. And they did, in fact, have a right response to the fact that God had helped them. They were about to celebrate. In fact, a little later... Nehemiah sets up a special service of celebration. Here's what it says. I had the leaders of Judah come up on top of the wall and I appointed two great choirs. Those of you who uh, haven't read through Nehemiah, help yourself, it's fun. And we're going to be done with it today, but we may have to resurrect it sometime in the future if it's appropriate. There's so much to learn out of this book. But he sets up two great choirs. Nehemiah has one choir and Ezra... The priest, the scribe, has the other choir. They get up on the top of the wall and the scripture tells us they head off in two directions singing and having a great time. They're worshiping the Lord because God had helped them get the wall in place. Oh, by the way, now see, you're all reading ahead of me. I didn't tell you to read that yet. (laughs) They're celebrating because the establishment of that wall represented what? taking away the reproach for the children of Israel, that they were defenseless, they were helpless, that God hadn't supported them and defended them, and now it was done and everybody was celebrating that reality. So the choirs go in two directions. They're singing songs. They probably had, um, I don't know if they had amplifiers, Mike, but they had all them stringed instruments and cymbals and a lot of noise, a lot of... Okay, brothers and sisters, everybody hear me? A lot It was a lot of noise. When they worshiped, it was a lot of noise. And here's what it says. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices and had a miserable time because it was a long church service. (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. I read that wrong, didn't I? They rejoiced because God had given them great joy, even the women and children. Now, when the Bible says that in a male-dominated culture text, that means something. So everybody, mom and dad, kids, everybody is having a grand time celebrating God's goodness. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. Isn't that cool? The joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. One of the comments that um, Charles Wendell made in his book about this is that there was joy... Heard from afar. He talks about the fact that we need to rejoice in God a little more, smiling and singing. I remember John Ortberg's book. I think it's Everybody's Normal till You Get to Know Them. That one, one of those books, or maybe it's the. I think it was it might have been the Spiritual Disciplines book, The Life You've Always Wanted, where there was a person who had been serving in the church forever, but he was always cranky. He always looked cranky. And it was the kind of individual he said, people would go and say, are you happy, George? And he said, yes. And people would respond, why don't you tell your face, you know. (laughs) I think sometimes Christians miss out on the joy dimension. You know what, I got to confess as I'm preaching this, I'm a little convicted myself because I'm one of those guys that gets so focused sometimes. I don't know, my wife says I'm an A-type personality, but I don't believe it. (laughs) But anyway, you missed the opportunity to give thanks and praise. In fact, I, I'm go- can I come clean with you? I'm going to put my, my job at risk. <laughs> she says, You're already voted in, go ahead. <laughs> they can vote me out. Anyway, so I'm praying in here one day, one night, and I'm thinking about the problems that have to be addressed. You know, we have a lot of bricks. Hand me another brick, right? We have a lot of bricks to put in place. I'm just telling you, we have bricks to put in place. Sometimes what we do is we put five book bricks in place and someone comes along and takes three of them out on us. And we think we're doing the right thing, but we're not. So I'm praying about that. I'm thinking, oh, man, I got all this wrong, this wrong, this. And I heard as clear as could be, you always see the glass half empty, don't you? <sighs> oh, ow. Ow. How about you? I took my my licks. How about you? <laughs> it's like, okay, I repent, Lord. You get what I'm saying? In other words, there is some traction here. God has been doing some things. So what are you looking at, Hako? I'll, I'll just rebuke me, okay, because I know you're all on top of this stuff. You got it. You got it all. I got it. <clears throat> So anyway, he's encouraging, and he just tells a little story. It's a a little old 78 hokey, you know, it is, where he's shopping, and they've got their little son in the cart, you know, and they pull up to uh, the the checkout, and the little kid starts reaching into the bags of candies and stuff that are in the cart and trying to open one, and as he's opening, he starts singing, Jesus loves me this, and there's a bunch of people standing around. They're just staring at him, you know. Imagine today what it would be like, you know, daggers looking at him. And all of a sudden, his song kind of goes, his sign. <laughs> he notices everybody staring at him. And this girl at the checkout says, Go ahead and continue, honey, for the Bible tells me. And he starts singing, and everybody starts leaning in. It opened up a conversation about Jesus with somebody who was right there, whose marriage was falling apart, and everything else, just being joyful I thought it was a great picture these people are rejoicing for what God has done they weren't totally out of the woods yet but God had done something on their behalf amen and I think he wants to do something on our behalf their joy was heard from afar and one of the statements he makes here is that it's interesting it wasn't the music that was heard from afar guys it was the joy of the people of God it was the joy, there was like a thunder that was bouncing over the hillsides and the neighbors who were against them originally were like, whoa, something's going on over there. It was the joy of God's people that rebounds to his glory. God had helped them and you know what? It meant that they were gonna have to have that big celebration on the wall and um, I think we'll do that down the road too. My, my, my brain says, let's see how we do for the next couple of years. Let's see how many bricks we get in place. Let's see how much forward progress we make, and maybe we'll have to have a big enjoyment time about that, you know? In the meantime, there are some things, and we want to grow as worshipers. We want to continue to grow as worshipers. So in the meanwhile, there's this meeting, and here's what happens. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. We just read this, and uh, he was standing above them. They had built a platform for the occasion all the people stood up when he opened the word. He blessed the Lord, the great God. All the people responded, amen, amen. They lifted up their hands, and they worshiped, even with their faces to the ground. The reason they're having this meeting is because Nehemiah recognized that they had made some progress, but there were some things yet to be done, and in particular was giving attention afresh to God, there was some progress, and by the way, let me just say some of the progress and some of the reasons that um, we have reason to celebrate today. Some things that are cool. Um, well, the Lord answered prayer and uh, directed us. I believe in in finding you, you know, a PG pastor. You know what PG means? He's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, he's this way, but you know. We've seen some pretty cool things. Last year, we had some new members join the church, like 13 or something like that. I believe we're going to see more. There are some people making professions. There are some things happening that I think we're going to add to our number as brothers and sisters. Um, This last week, how many of you participated in helping the dinner happen last week? Just raise your hands. Look at this. All over the congregation, all of you that did that. Keep them up for just a second. I just want to say, way to go team, you did a great job, they did a great job, thank you. I know you're applauding for yourself, but you're allowed to do that. I was looking at some of the things, did you see the little little cards that were left on the table the Iwana kids did for us? That was a great idea by the way, that was really kind of cool. You're like a pumpkin, you know. Life is kind of like a pumpkin. But anyway, I won't. Read. you can read that. I'll give it to you if you want it. But there was just some cool things. 305 Christmas child boxes that we gathered last week, which is a lot. I mean, that's a lot. So some really good things. We had people here that were guests we made connections with, I think, more than any other year that I've been here. Those of you who are doing the social uh, interaction in here, thank you for doing that. Some of the conversations we had, some of the interests with some people about coming back, maybe hearing something about the gospel, it was all very cool. It was very cool. So anyway, I don't want to go on too much about that, but there's reasons for us to be thankful to celebrate. What had happened in Nehemiah's day is that he had built the wall, he had set the civic things in order. There were officials, there were guards, there were timetables, they were shutting the doors at the right time so that the place would remain safe. All of that was true, but spiritual issues had been neglected. Okay? So it was time to get some face time before God and to hear from him and set a few more things in order, even though this was not Nehemiah's primary job. He was the governor He wanted to make sure God's people got back on track spiritually. It was helpful to know, Swindoll said, at this time there was a spiritual vacuum in the city. The wall reconstruction project had been completed and the people had moved into their own dwellings. According to chapter 7, which is a detailed chapter on organizational structure, the people were now well-ordered, well-defended, and well-governed. But in this community, even though its residences had his residents, the people there, had nice homes and good jobs and were well protected, there was still something missing. Can there possibly be an application for us? Nehemiah sensed the spiritual vacuum as did the people, and a timeless truth emerges from all of this. It is not enough to have a well-constructed superstructure if there is little or no life on the inside. How true this is in the church, he said. Many a church is like an impressive machine. Lots of... Anybody remember Rube Goldberg? Anybody? Rube Goldberg would build these fantastic machines. They would run on steam or electrical energy, and things would spin and sputter and make all this noise. What did it accomplish? Nothing. It just goes. That's all it did. And that's exactly his point. Sometimes that's what happens to the church. Activity, running, without spiritual life underneath So he says, it's time for us to do something about this. So Ezra reads the text and he's going through the passages of Scripture. And as the people are listening, in case you didn't read it on your own, let me just tell you what happened. The people are listening after they had worshiped and thank God, thank you, God, that you've helped us with the wall. And thank you, God, that you've given us your word. So that we're not like lost sheep wandering in the wilderness, not knowing our left hand from our right, not knowing what is right and wrong, so we don't have to make shipwreck of our lives. Thank you for the revealed word of God. We worship you. And as Ezra starts to read the word of God, something weird happens, a reaction at Watergate. Anybody know what happened? They start bawling their eyes out. All of a sudden, people are weeping and become sobbing hysterics. Nehemiah says, whoops, I didn't have this in mind. And so he says, wait, 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 wait. I don't have the guts to do this because if that ever happened to you, I'd let it go. I'm just going to tell you, I'd let it go. Do you follow what I'm saying? The Puritans talked about the gift of tears. When God shows us what's broken. The children of Israel were listening to the word of God and all of a sudden the light started to come on. God says do it this way. We've been doing it that way. Oh, I could have had a V8. But they didn't just have that reaction. They started to weep. I don't know whether it's I'm so far from God, I need to be right. Or I'm so sorry that I missed so many windows of opportunity. I made such a mess. I'm so sorry I derailed this part of my life or this part of my family's life or whatever. I don't know what they're reacting to, but they're weeping. And Nehemiah says, this is a holy day. Calm down. We're supposed to celebrate. We're going to get back together and repent of all of our sins. But that's what started to happen. They started to repent. It was an unexpected reaction at Watergate. That's why his title was revival at Watergate. So here's what happened. The Levites calmed all the people. They ran through the crowd. In other words, if you didn't get the picture, by the way, Ezra's on a, on, a, on a platform. He's explaining the word of God, and all the Levites, they're like local pastors. They're out in the crowd saying, Here's what that means. Here's what that means. Here's what that means. What, what about this? Like, you know, like you're always asking me, What does this mean? That's what they're doing. They're answering those questions, and they were getting the point. And so they calmed everyone down. Be still for the day is holy. Don't be grieved. All the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, to celebrate a great festival because they understood the words which had been made to them. Did you catch it? Because the wall was built. No, we're past the wall. You have your little uh, note paper. Anybody take your notes? Your first response was to the wall. Your second response is to the word. And they're rejoicing because God has made the word known. They understand it. Oh, we get it. I get how we're supposed to do that now. And so they're rejoicing in that. See, Nehemiah knew some things had to be set in order. First... Everything was set up for safety and government and all of that. Now, after this, there's a reaction that's spiritual. And the people say, we haven't fixed up everything. And so they started putting things back in place like tithes for the Levites and the priests and establishing uh, worship in the right way, reestablishing the Sabbath, closing the doors on the Sabbath day, things like that. That's all Old Testament principle, how you honor God. And that's what they did. Now there's a bunch of analogies in this, let me just say first of all when it comes to the issue of conviction, there's a little spiritual tool that I've used many times with people called discerning conviction and I borrowed from a group called Sotero Revival Ministries from Canada. But when I feel, anybody ever feel guilt? Okay, at least two of you. And those of you who haven't, okay, we'll have to talk sometime. Guilt can come from one of two places, right? It could be healthy guilt, it could be the enemy condemning me, or it can be the Holy Spirit convicting me. This is called discerning conviction. Now let me just give you a couple of samples of what happens. The Holy Spirit, when he's convicting me, gives a sense of the holiness of God, of what is Right? Whereas Satan will give you a sense of your worthlessness, the fact that you're an utter failure and useless. Anybody ever hear that in their head? Okay, you don't want to keep hearing that because it's not the truth. If God has redeemed me, then he has a purpose for me and I am valued to him and he brings conviction so that I can get on the right path and enjoy the life God has for me. The Holy Spirit corrects me. Satan accuses me. The Holy Spirit convicts me. Satan condemns me. The Holy Spirit encourages me to obedience. When the light comes on and I see something's wrong, if I'm a follower of Jesus, my reaction is, well, I'm done with that. (laughs) I see that. Now, thank you, Lord. I'm sorry I did it. I'm asking forgiveness. I'm moving on. Satan discourages us to despair. So that we give up. We just, yeah. And by the way, I think some of us have bought into that, you know. Uh, That's just the way I am. I can't change it. And so the Holy Spirit obviously went on vacation for you. He can't change it? Yes, he can. He's still changing me. Oh, man, I'm so tired. No. (laughs) He's still changing us, amen? 65 years old, he's still changing me. And sometimes radically. Praise God, right? That's a good thing. All right, so I just wanted you to be aware of that, and I think it was Jonathan Edwards in writing about revival said that often what happens when severe conviction comes on people like this account where they're all crying and the people had to be calmed down by the leaders, that sometimes when the Holy Spirit does that, right along with the conviction, there is a sense of incredible love and acceptance with the Father. That's how you know it's coming from God. I'm doing this because I love you, just like a parent with his child. No rejection here. It's because I value you. I want you rescued. Now, by the way, there are all kinds of analogies in the Bible. We're using the story of Nehemiah with the wall as an analogy for repairing the walls of our church, not literally our walls, although there there are a few who need repair, but... uh, putting bricks in place, uh, rebooting, if you will, as an assembly. For us, if we're using it as the rebuilding of the church. But let's look at a couple of illustrations out of the Old Testament, what we would call types or things that actually are history from the Bible, actual truth that represents something for us as the New Testament community. Let's take, for example, the temple of God. What's the temple of God? What's a temple for? Yeah, well, See, now we're primarily thinking about us, and that's right. It's for worship. What's a temple for? Who lives in temples? God. Yeah, you go to foreign lands where there are many temples, that local God is supposed to be dwelling in that temple. The temple of God represented the dwelling place of God here among his people. Old Testament saints who had their theology right knew that God was omnipresent. They knew that he's too big to live in a building. That's ridiculous. They know better. But what it meant for them was this was the local representation of the place where we will gather to meet with him. Everybody follow what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Okay. That was the Old Testament picture. The temple was the dwelling place of God. What does it look like in the New Testament? That's the answer. It's us. It's the church. And wherever the church, the new temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit who indwells us, wherever the saints gather, that becomes the temple, the Zion. O Zion, haste thy mission high-fulfilling, right? Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. Why do we have those songs? Because they get the analogy from the Old Testament. We shift to the new. We're the temple of God, and the Spirit indwells us. And just as he was honored in the Old Testament by gathering at that temple, so he's honored in the New Testament economy that we live in when this people come to this temple to know Christ. Whether it's in a building or whether it's in a house or whether it's underground in the catacombs, it doesn't matter where it is. That's where the dwelling of God is, to gather as saints and worship him. How about the wall? We already talked about that. In the Old Testament, it was the picture of protection. It was the fact that God had faithfully brought them back to the land and was giving them security and that his name was honored as the protector of his God and his reputation was intact. And the same thing is true for Zion. The New Testament believers, when they are strong and their bricks are in place and all of that is true, they're living for Jesus, they're getting victory over sin, they are a light shining in darkness, then God's reputation is also Intact. How about warfare? This one I got questions on. In the Old Testament, it was literal warfare, right? They were coming to attack them. Uh, we're gonna knock down your wall, we're gonna take you out, dudes. And Nehemiah said, Hey, hey, hey everybody, you know, take a chill, and uh, all my team, when we go work and we slap mortar around, make sure you got your sword on you. You, know, have you. Make sure you're packing. Back then it was physical, literal. Not so in the New Testament. How do we fight in the New Testament? I I know a lot of us as church members have had experience with fighting. That's not what I'm talking about. (laughs) I'm talking about how do we fight the Christian fight? What's involved in that? Prayer. Prayer. What else? The Word. What else? Big one there. Holy Spirit. What else? Forgiveness. Yes. Yes. Yeah, when the Amish have one of their people taken out in our culture, and we've seen this multiple times, and they as a community forgive. Is that not warring against the enemy's lies? People, they still go, well, I can't believe it. That kind of... Well, we believe it. As Christians, we expect that. That's what it says. That's one of the things. There's a big one. See, we miss this one. This is one of our weaknesses. It's one of our weaknesses. Witness. Witness, we're fighting for not only our victory over sin. Anybody need to fight that fight? But we're fighting for the sake of lost souls as well that need to come into the kingdom. They need to have the lights turn on. The Holy Spirit has to give them that reality. and We war on their behalf. That's some of the fighting that goes on in the New Testament concept context when paul says i wrestle and i struggle those kind of words he's talking about not only maintaining his own spiritual life he's talking about having the gospel be a light among the gentiles that was his particular mission field anybody with me so when we pray and we have prayer meetings we're trying to push that forward and we've been doing some of that it's been good Praying for those who are outside of Christ or wayward from Christ that we're connected with, that the Holy Spirit would track them down. There's a war involved, is there not? There's an enemy who has captives, and he doesn't like to give them up. You can't spoil the strong man's house unless what? Jesus taught that. Anybody ever? I didn't make this up. You have to first bind the strong man in order to spoil his goods. What are his goods? Money? No, souls. It's people that are trapped. So our eyes are on God in warfare. Let me give an example that came out of this particular book and this text. I love this verse. I love this verse. When I saw their fear, this is Nehemiah chapter 4, I spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Don't be afraid of them. They're being intimidated. Remember, we're going to sneak up, we're going to knock down your wall, we're going to kill you when you're not looking. And Nehemiah says, blow them off. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Fight for them. Remember the Lord. You want to learn how to war? You want to learn how to do warfare? You want to learn how to walk in authority? This is how you do it. Remember the Lord. You keep your eyes on him, not your weakness. You keep your eyes on him, not your neighbor or your fellow brother who's blowing it this week and torqued your shorts. You keep your eyes on him. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and then fight for your brothers. Fight for your households. Fight for your children. I'm telling you, well, you have to act. I can't tell you how many times I had to intervene, fight, correct, rebuke, confront, whatever it was, you're getting off track. You're in trouble here. Do you understand? I'm fighting for you whether it was my kids, my friends, parishioners, whatever it is. And you know what? That's all of our responsibility. Was I not clear? Some of us are looking at me like, what is he talking about? I don't know. No, I'm kidding. I do know. (laughs) So right there, if I have my eyes on God, that's where my authority comes from because of what God has done on my behalf, and I need to take action to pray for, to rebuke, to coach, to encourage, to keep people moving in the right direction. If they're in my circle, my oikos, I want to encourage them. My literal family, my spiritual family. Any questions? I told you I'd have... Oh, wait a minute. I'll make it official. There we are. Anything not clear? Because I wanted to make sure we got the connection between the analogies of the Old Testament picture and what it looks like for us in the New Testament, all right? Anybody? Question? Warfare? Hmm? Okay. Last chance. There's a response of remembrance. That's the last part on your sheet. A response of remembrance. They responded to the wall. Yes, thank you, God, you've done this for us. They responded to the word. Oh, boy, wow, did we miss some things. Let's get right with God. And they do. They get right with God, and they start obeying. And then there's a response of remembrance. It's right to rejoice and give thanks and bless the Lord and worship together. God had built the wall. If God has done some things for us, it's okay to be stoked. Wow, you sound real excited. Okay. It is okay to be stoked about that. And it's appropriate to respond with worship. There's one more response, and that is reinstating what God had clearly commanded. The scripture says that they found written in the word that there were three major celebrations for the children of Israel every year. You know, as Christians, we have celebrations every year, don't we? In fact, we have celebration every week. And certain days of the month, we have celebration around the Lord's table. Of course, I've disrupted the schedule on that on purpose. (laughs) Because I like doing that. Here's what happened. They found in the scripture that there was a festival that was supposed to be celebrated by the children of Israel called the Festival of Booths. Sukkoth. Sukkoth. Yeah, Sukkoth. If you talk like that, that's how they say it, you know, down in New York. I grew up in New York. It's like, I'm going to build a sucker this weekend. I'll show you what that is in just a minute. But what it was is a booth because the children of Israel, remember, were rescued by a mighty outstretched hand. Moses takes the children of Israel out of bondage. They have been slaves in Egypt. Their children have been put to death. They're living in bondage, and God rescues them. And, of course, that rescue is phenomenal. That's what Passover is all about. That's what the movie The Ten Commandments is all about. And the great marking moment is the way that they get delivered when the angel of death comes. They take a lamb, they shed the blood, they splatter the blood on the doorposts. Remember that? And that was a mark. When God's destroying angels saw that blood, he said he would pass over that house. He wouldn't bring judgment. And the same thing is true in our spiritual life. When God sees the blood of Jesus applied to our heart, the doorposts of our heart, he passes over. The judgment passes over. We escape. That's another analogy out of the Old Testament you can't possibly miss. That's what salvation's all about. But on the journey to the promised land, brothers and sisters, we are on a journey to the promised land. In the meantime, we're running around in these tents. The children of Israel had to live in the wilderness for 40 years and they dwelled in booths, tents, right? And so to remember that when they came into the promised land, rather than forget the grace of God and his sustaining provision for them. For 40 years, their clothes didn't wear out, their shoes didn't wear out. That's what the scripture says. He always provided food and water for them. What happened to my screens? Okay, there it is. They were supposed to remember by building booths and celebrating once a year a festival for seven days living in little booths, little tents. The entire assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in them. The sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day. That's a long time. Joshua was the first guy going into the promised land. They celebrated everything the law said back then in his days. When he died and his elders died, the Bible says, another generation rose up just like the church. Who did not know the mighty deeds of God and they wander. So from that day, from Joshua's day till now, they had not celebrated. Well, when they got their hands on this, look at the reaction. Oh, we gotta go to church again. They were like stoked. Don't they use that word anymore? You use that word anymore? Nobody, yeah, sort of. What's the word now? Kicking. Well, what's a word? I don't care what word we use, but anyway, they were psyched, all right. There was great rejoicing. Sounds like a Monty Python line. There was great rejoicing, yay. <laughs> you see, one of my professors, Dr. Bruce Shelley, who's with the Lord now, he's at the Promised Land. He doesn't have to carry his tent any longer. He wrote, in what Baptists believe, that the ordinances are the gospel enacted. This is an ordinance. It's the gospel enacted. It's the gospel acted out before your eyes. It's visualized. Dwelling in tents for the children of Israel was the gospel enacted. We were rescued. We were sustained 40 years in the wilderness until God brought us into the promised land. What a picture! God's provision. And so it was the gospel enacted. Passover, the sacrifice, the blood of the lamb, the celebration of unleavened bread for that week is the gospel enacted. We have converted it. Jesus took the reins on that and said, do this in remembrance of me. And so it's a picture of the gospel enacted. That's part of worship. And when they worshiped here, you can see there was great rejoicing. By the way, when things happen that haven't happened for a long time, there's usually rejoicing. Like when we took in new members, we were rejoicing. I was thinking about the prayer meeting. We went over across the river. Some of us went to that, and uh, some, some are away this weekend, I know. But when we went across and we participated with our sister churches praying for God to work in our area... Somebody had written back and said, that's the first time we've had a group meet like that in probably 20 or 30 years. I don't remember what the exact number was, but that was a reason for rejoicing. And when I came back, I told you all that. It was like, that's pretty cool. An emphasis on going back to the one who can rescue us, because there's only one who can rescue us. And that's Jesus we connect with him by prayer so they celebrated the feast of booths and here's what they look like actually you pick up all your uh... now usually back way back when you could cut it down yourself right and so this is from israel This picture but now like we go for christmas trees soon right uh-huh. some of us go for christmas trees yeah uh-huh. you, you know if you don't cut your own you go to a place that sells them that's what they do there obviously they collect the leaves because this is the command out of the old testament and they build a sukkah that's what it is it's a little booth like that or can be any shape, made with natural stuff, and they dwelled there for their time of sojourn in the wilderness. And these children of Israel said, let's do it. Let's have Christmas, basically. <laughs> let's do this great celebration, and there was much rejoicing because of it. Brothers and sisters, until we get to the promised land, we're dwelling in these tents, And until we get to the promised land, Jesus said, we're going to keep enacting the gospel because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me until when? Till we meet again. Yeah, till I come. come Till he comes. We're going to keep doing it. The picture of the spiritual rescue of the Lamb of God on our behalf. Do this in remembrance. By the way, I'm remembering, number one, the actual history. It's totally right to say, yes, I'm doing this because Jesus, 2,000 years ago, laid his life down on the cross. That's fair. But I'm also doing this because of my participation, that I have personally received this wonderful gift of life eternal from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I do this, to remember him. That's why I participate in the feast because it happened, and because I'm part of it. I'm part of that forever family. Do we think there's any grace going on around here? I think there is some. This last week I saw one of our senior brothers who is uh, struggling physically, we know, Jim. I'm going to tattle on him. Jim Bays went to his house and... and. Uh, He was weepy. He does get weepy sometimes thinking about the goodness of God and saying, may God restore a house of praise, a house of worship, of gratitude, of celebration right here at Harmony. He's full of hope right now. It's a good thing. Yeah, it's a good thing. I'm going to ask that you stand with me and we'll pray. And um, we're going to partake of the table together in just a minute. And uh, I had actually thought of uh, having a few people share, but uh, our time has waned, and it's my fault. I'll have to do better another time. All right, I'm going to ask the worship team to come. We're going to sing a song in preparation. Let me just explain, though, as we do the table. Sometimes we come forward, sometimes we don't. We're going to come forward today. There is gluten-free up here for those of you who need it. I'll make sure it's available. I'm going to be standing here in the front with uh, the bread when you come, receive the bread which represents the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Partake right then, and then come and take the cup and bring the cup back to your seat so we can salute our king together. If you are someone who's looking in, wondering about this glorious gospel we're talking about, we certainly uh, respect the fact that you uh, do not need to participate, and, uh, but you are welcome to become part of his family in an instant, in a heartbeat by inviting Jesus to be Lord of your life. This table is for his followers, and so we're welcoming you to it this morning. Let's pray together. God, we want to bless you for the mighty acts that you have done in history. We thank you for the glorious, remarkable, profoundly mighty act that you did in sending your son Jesus to rescue people who were basically hostile to you and not listening, ignoring you. And you sent him to rescue so that we could have life eternal. We're grateful, Lord, if we have put our trust in you today, we worship you and give you thanks. We pray, God, in Jesus' name, that as we gather around this table, we would be open to saying thank you to you and to hearing from you by your Holy Spirit who indwells us. We celebrate the table instituted by our master that in a physical way, the body and the blood manifested with the bread and the cup. We hold them in our hands as a picture of us taking his eternal life into ourselves. We worship you for that reality. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing while we're standing.